Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning, everyone. I have a question for you to start things off. I wonder if you can guess what it is. What are you waiting for? That's the question. And um, I thought I'd interpret this for young people, so I also have another slide. (laughs) That's what young people do, isn't it? Sorry. I know it's not. What are you waiting for? It's embarrassing, especially for Phoebe. Um, But seriously, what are you waiting for? You might have a think about this and reply, well, I'm waiting for you to give me some context to this question so I know what you're talking about. That's fair enough. You might say, I'm waiting for you to get on with this sermon so we can all get to lunch. That's fair enough. But let me explain a little bit. Because sometimes in Christian life, we're living like we're in a bit of a holding pattern, just kind of sitting on the runway, a little bit like these planes here. Um, just sitting there, but never actually taking off and flying. We're kind of waiting for something, for some kind of sign or some kind of change in our life so that we can start to live out that, that Christian life, so we can start to use our gifts and do all the stuff that we're called to do out there in the world. Sometimes we might be thinking, well, maybe next year I'll be less busy. Uh, maybe I'll pray more and then I'll feel closer to God and then I'll feel confident to start kind of sharing my faith more and using my gifts. Maybe next year it'll be a better time. So when I say, what are you waiting for? I guess what I mean is, what is stopping you from fully living out your faith, not just at church, but every day, everywhere? And I've been asking myself this question too. And there might be lots of reasons, uh, lots of different reasons. Adult life can be very, very busy and exhausting. Uh, if you're younger, you might also have a very busy schedule and you, you, know, you might feel uncertain about how to go about it. But I think a lot of the time we feel a bit nervous that if we go out into the world with our hearts on our sleeves, that our faith might not actually be up to the challenge, that it might let us down in some way. Perhaps we feel if we go out there with our faith on display, that there'll be questions that we can't answer, that our faith will prove to be too thin that it won't stand up to the scrutiny of others. Maybe we are worried that we might look silly. Perhaps we feel that we can't quite be sure that God is actually going to come through and do what we feel he has promised to do. We might be unsure of what it is we can expect God to do. Perhaps we feel that we'll be ridiculed and we'll be left alone, standing out and not feeling um, that God is there supporting us. Trying to get rid of that slide. That's not working. We'll come back to that. Perhaps we even have doubts ourselves, so we feel that we can't answer people's questions with conviction. Going out into the world with your faith on display can make you feel nervous for lots of reasons. You might be like at a party or something, and you can tell the conversation's heading in a direction where you should say something about your faith or say something about that topic that will, um, from your, the perspective of your faith. And you can probably feel a bit of a knot in your stomach because it's a bit scary and you're not sure what will happen if you try to do that. Maybe even at school, someone says that going to church is dumb and you don't really know what to do. It's easier just to kind of 
wander away and not say anything at all. It's a similar feeling, I think, that funny feeling you get in your stomach, that nervousness, to when someone takes, for example, a glass ornament and throws it up in the air, like that. You get a bit of a funny feeling in your stomach. Whoa, that's a bit nerve-wracking. Um, this is um, a beautiful glass ball. It's actually a, a fishing float. Um, I think a Japanese fishing flute. Uh, Megan got it for me for my birthday one year, and I love it. Thanks, darling. But I think um, I've been thinking about it as a metaphor for our faith. We do have a really beautiful and wonderful faith. The gospel and the love of Jesus are such wonderful truths, but sometimes our faith can be quite thin. We might not really understand how it all works or what's in the center, and this uh, hollow glass ball, just like this, we might only have a bit of a surface level understanding. So like this ball, we might have our faith nicely um, on a shelf at home in a nice position where we can admire it and ponder it there in the safety of our own home. We might occasionally take it out somewhere safe, like to church in a padded bag or something. Um, but it's probably not going to go with you to the soccer game. It's probably not going to go with you to the shops. And, you know, it's probably not going to go with you to school, for example. Because what if we drop it? I think I can hold it upside down. Uh, what if we bump it? What if someone knocks it and it breaks? If we do take it out of the house and someone says to us, what's that? Are we nervous to show it to them? Are we nervous to let them hold it and examine it in case they point things out like it's hollow or in case they drop it or damage it or they don't appreciate it like we do? There are plenty of things that can happen in life that can damage our faith. Um, going to university and being bombarded with new ideas that seem to contradict or disprove it. The experience of some great suffering or death of a loved one. If we have a deep faith, it can heal and we can keep going. But if we have a brittle, shallow faith, even one little bump can shatter it. And you can imagine it's very hard, almost impossible to put back together sometimes. I mean, kids, imagine if your parents said, do you want to take your ball to school with you today? And they handed this to you. You'd be like, no, I don't think so. That's not going to go well. I would hope and pray that we would want to develop a resilient faith, one that can take a few knocks, one that we can take to the playground and throw it to a friend and say, check this out, have a go at it, give it a bounce, knowing confidently that it's not going to break. So perhaps our faith should be a little bit like a different kind of ball. Perhaps maybe a bit more like a basketball. Uh, if I throw this one around, you know, you won't feel as nervous, although I might break some musical equipment. I can do tricks, see? Woo! That'll impress the kids. <laughs> if you take this one to school, even if you take it and your friends kind of kick it over the fence, you can go and get it, pick it up and keep going. It's probably going to be fine. So how do we get from this glass ball to a more resilient ball that bounces back? I've got three ideas that I want to share with you today that I think are vital to having a resilient faith. 
So in order to get out there and see the kingdom of God grow, developing a resilient faith, a faith that can bounce back, a bit like a basketball, from challenges and difficult times is really important. And it doesn't just happen. We need to work on it and we need to have a plan. Over the past few years, I've spent a bit of time talking to people about their journey of faith and the points where their faith was tested and what it was that kept them going. I've talked to some people who didn't keep going and who've lost their faith as well. And I was up at the Pines the other day, randomly talking to people and asking them about their experience of faith and the church, which was really interesting. And out of those conversations, there's three things that I felt like was really important to share today in order to have a faith that keeps bouncing back. The first one is that we need to base our faith on the person of Jesus, not on some complicated philosophical system, not on other people or a leader, not on an inspirational story, but on the actual living Jesus and the actual event of his death and resurrection. And two, we need to develop a faith that hasn't have cracks in it, and we need to find answers to our questions. We need to keep seeking how it all fits together and develop a really strong Christian worldview. Three, we need to intentionally maintain strong Christian community. You absolutely need Christian friends and mentors and community for your faith to survive. So number one, get to know Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In our reading today, uh, we see that Jesus is sending out the disciples out into the world. The 12 disciples, or the apostles, were sent out in the previous chapter, and this is now the wider group of disciples of 72. And he sent them out to let the world know that the kingdom of God was near and to heal the sick. And guess what? Even though Jesus said, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves, they still went. They trusted Jesus. And I believe they trusted Jesus because they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus. They'd seen his compassion They'd heard his wisdom. They had felt his power. They knew Jesus, and so they trusted him and then obeyed him. Later in this chapter, they come back, as Tony read, and report all the amazing things that had happened as they went out into the world, um, that they were able to cast out demons and heal the sick in Jesus' name. We need to keep getting to know Jesus. Jesus is the most wonderful, kind an amazing person. The more we know him, the more we will trust him and the more confident we'll feel to obey his calling. Now, you may have read the Gospels. You know know the outline of what happened to Jesus. But do you know Jesus? I encourage you to read the Gospels from a bit of a different perspective. Take your time and see what you can discover about him, not just about what happened. Read the stories and try to see what Jesus' character is like, the way he treated people, the way he cared for people, it was very countercultural. I remember when I was at university, there was a lot of discussions about philosophy and about religious ideas. It was very intellectual and in-depth, and I felt compelled that I needed to try and express and defend my beliefs in that same way. I was a Christian at that time. Through these kind of complicated ideas and philosophies and logic, I wanted to prove through these discussions that, you know, that my faith was the best and and win that discussion, basically. But you have to be pretty smart and pretty quick to win a philosophy discussion argument at university. Uh, There's some very smart people with very compelling ideas out there. And so it can be difficult and disheartening. 
But actually, Christianity is not in the business of competing with worldly ideas and philosophies or in who is the smartest or who has the best arguments. It's actually about following a person. It's a whole different way of thinking. You might remember from our time studying 1 Corinthians that Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, was, he was a very well-educated man. He could have made some great arguments and um, beaten some people in some competitions of philosophy. But in 1 Corinthians it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I don't think we should be expecting to be able to argue someone into becoming a Christian, but rather to try and introduce them to Jesus and to see the Holy Spirit at work opening their eyes and changing their hearts. We need to demonstrate the love of Jesus and see their hearts open up to hear the truth. The God who created the universe, who existed before the universe did, who is independent of it, he cared so much for the beings that he created that he entered into that universe and lived as one of us to make a way for us to connect with him again. Jesus is God come to be with us, to save us. It's not an abstract, complicated philosophy, but a real person who lived and died and rose to demonstrate God's love and to make it possible to find forgiveness and connection with God the Father. One of the things that people told me that they really um, caused them to struggle in their faith was when there was a strong leader or a person who they admired uh, or looked up to as an example of great faith who then let them down or who lost their faith or who had some sin uncovered in their lives. And in this day and age, you will have heard many stories like those. But even in the Bible, we see that all the heroic characters like Samson and David are deeply flawed. There are actually no heroes in the Bible except Jesus because Jesus is the only one we can rely on and trust in to demonstrate God's character and God's love. So we need to keep getting to know Jesus and remembering that Jesus is risen and alive right now and we can know him through his Holy Spirit living in us as well. Number two, we need to get our questions answered. I don't know about you, but I've had the experience of being in a church and Bible studies where to ask a question about the Bible is interpreted as you questioning the Bible or undermining the leader or um, showing a lack of faith. In places like that, you really get the strong impression that questions are not really welcome. And that kind of environment leads to a very shallow Christian faith. If people are too scared or embarrassed to ask questions, then they'll never know the answers and they'll continue to live with doubts. Sometimes it's hard to know who to talk to. Sometimes as a young person, you even feel it's hard to talk to your parents about difficult questions. But if we want people to have a deep, strong faith, they need to be able to ask these questions and find grace and mercy and wisdom in response. We need to help people wrestle with their challenges. Once I um, did a bit of study at Bible college and I put my hand up to ask a question um, about the topic we were discussing, and another student got up and wrote heretic on the board in chalk. It was 
Not a good moment. Uh, a bad example of how you might respond to somebody's questions. I didn't ask a lot of questions after that. People come to faith by responding to Jesus' love and in response to his death and resurrection. But if it stops there, they'll be ill-equipped for interacting with the world. And over time, there will be doubts and their faith will struggle. We have to have an environment where people feel safe to ask questions, to say, that doesn't make sense to me, or where people can grapple with their doubts and help to find answers. So we have a responsibility to create that kind of place, but individually, let's make sure that we seek out a place where we are encouraged to have our questions answered. Don't give up. Don't leave those cracks in your faith. Maybe it'll be in a growth group. Maybe it's one-on-one -on -one with a Christian friend. Maybe you need to make an appointment with the minister. Um, <clears throat> Maybe it is your parents or a Christian relative, but make sure you have someone and a place to be able to ask the questions you have. Because there are a lot of topics that are big issues in the world that Christians find sometimes quite difficult to discuss. It's classic science and religion, relationships and gender, unanswered prayer, suffering and war. People are starting to look at some of the stuff in the Old Testament and question the legitimacy of Christianity because of it. Especially for younger people, these questions are going to come up a lot in the years to come, and we need to be able to discuss them. We need to be able to discuss these questions and help prepare people for the inevitable discussion that they will have to have when they take their faith out into the world. So getting answers to questions might be something you keep doing for your whole life. That's okay. I don't mean you have to get all of them answered. Quick, smart. But don't give up. Don't just settle for a thin faith like the glass ball, but keep seeking and keep asking and keep growing. So I believe that there are answers to be found. Some are hard and will take time, but it's worth it to develop a resilient faith. And I personally would be happy to talk to anyone about any crazy, difficult, no matter what they are, questions that you might have. Number three is intentional Christian community. Um, I think I have a slide. There we go. Have you ever taken a coal out of a fire and set it on its own? What happens is that that coal pretty quickly gets cold and goes out, while the rest of the coals that are together are burning away nice and hot still. The one removed just goes cold. And the fact that a Christian who's removed from Christian community, like a coal, will find it very hard to keep their faith hot. And it's not a reason to think that there's something wrong with Christianity. The need for community is actually an intentional part of the Christian faith. We're the body of Christ, with every part working together and having a different role. Together is how Christianity works best and how it was always meant to work. The reason the coal goes out is because the cold night air and the environment around it immediately starts sucking the warmth out of it when it's removed from the fire. Similarly, the world we live in is not a neutral place. It immediately starts to eat away at your values and your views and your faith and try and conform you uh, to that. And on top of that, the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion roaming around seeking someone to devour. It kind of makes sense to me that the devil is pinched as a cat. Sorry, cat people. It also makes sense to me that we can't just have our faith and then sit back and relax and expect things just to work out. That big cat that I just mentioned, 
He is actually there trying to push your faith off the table so it'll smash on the floor. A bit like these guys. Yeah. Unfortunately, glass doesn't bounce. There are things working against your faith. So we need to keep fighting back. We need people to fight with us and for us or we will start to fall back. It's kind of like walking up an escalator the wrong way. Have you ever tried that? Yes. I can't officially recommend it, but it's pretty fun. This lady um, was famous on the internet for a while. For um, I think she wandered onto it on her phone and she didn't realize, and then she just stuck with it. Uh, and this guy's laughing at her as she tries to go past. Then this lady's like looking bemused. She's almost there though, look, she's almost made it to the top. It's awesome. <laughs> Apparently sometimes cats are on elevators too. It's probably up to something devious. Uh, and sometimes you can just kind of like model for stock photography on the elevator. That's fun. That's not really relevant to this topic though. Um, anyway, uh, at the bottom of the elevator, if you have tried it, you'll realize you have a bit of a burst of energy. You kind of run up the first few steps, you get about halfway up maybe, and then you start to slow down a little bit to a bit of a walk, and soon you discover that you're actually staying in the same place. You're walking, but you're not really getting anywhere. And if you want to really um, get to the top, you need to push yourself and, um, and really put in a bit of effort to keep moving forward. And I know that feels exhausting um, as a picture of life, but maybe that's why heaven is pictured as a place of rest. Perhaps like a Starbucks at the top of the escalator where there's soft couches for you to rest on. If you're on the escalator and you get tired and you sit down and you say, okay, I'm not going to try anymore, you immediately start to go backwards because of these things, the devil and the world. And that's when you need a friend to pick you up and to walk with you and to say, come on, let's keep going. If we run for a bit, we'll make it to the top. Then we can have chocolate frappuccinos. That's what I like. And if you're alone on the escalator, you'll start to wonder, is this really the right thing to do? If there are others there with you, you'll feel encouraged to keep going. And sometimes when you're going the wrong way up an escalator, I've experienced this, other people are coming down. And sometimes they get angry with you and say, what are you doing? This is the down escalator. And that causes difficulties for this metaphor because technically that's true. But don't worry about that. Just keep going up, helping each other to get to the top. And part of that is to share stories of faith and testimonies of what God has done. People often told me that these are the things that really helped them in their difficult times and helped to make their faith more resilient. Remembering what God has done to them, hearing about what God has done for other people and how their faith has been strengthened. So we need to be there. We need to support each other. We need to be intentional about having Christian friends, mentors and community. That can be church, growth groups, youth group, close friends, Christian groups at uni or school. These things are truly essential to having a resilient faith. In 1 Peter 3 it says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. This year, our vision is to see the kingdom of God grow here in Doncaster East. And that's only going to happen if all of us are involved. 
So let's ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? There's never been a better time to take your faith with you everywhere you go, to get out there and to make a difference. And if that makes you feel a bit nervous, then there might be some work we need to do, but let's do that work and not delay. It's not always going to be easy. We will need to be resilient. We will need to sacrifice and prioritize. So let's make sure that we have the pieces in place. We need to focus on Jesus, keep reading his word, meditate on his life and his words. We need to get our questions answered. We need to be confident. If you're a Christian, you have a question, and you can be pretty sure that someone who doesn't know Jesus is going to ask you that question at some point. So let's work together to make sure we have answers, even to the really hard stuff. Three, we have to do this together as the body of Christ, supported by friends and mentors, knowing we're not alone. This this ball represents a faith that's based on those simple, beautiful truths about Jesus. But going out alone into the world with this faith can be risky. So let's start to apply a strong focus on knowing Jesus, a depth of wisdom after having sought answers, and the strength of intentional Christian community. We can transform it into a faith that's able to bounce back when hardships or challenges come our way, a faith that can stand up to some bumps, and a faith that we're not afraid to share with our friends and neighbours and with anyone whom God brings along. We're going to have a bit of a, a response time now. Um, what we're hoping that is to give you an opportunity to ask questions and to make a commitment. So we've got two boxes up here at the front. Uh, one of them is um, an opportunity for you to commit to intentional Christian community this year. So you can write your name and put it in that box and say, yes, I'm going to seek out and develop intentional Christian community. You can also write on there, I'd really like to join a growth group. I'd really like a mentor. I'd like to join a prayer triplet. Whatever it is you think you need, you can write it on that bit of paper and put it in the box. I'm not sure which box it is. Is it that one? That one? Um, So please do that. Please come up, even if it's just to write your name and say, yes, I'm committing to Christian community this year. The second box is about questions. So we want you to write down questions um, that, that you struggle with, that cause you difficulties, and put them in that box. And you can put your name on them if you want, and we'll get in touch with you, but just put them in there, and then we'll know what people's questions are, and we can start to think about how to address them in the future uh, through church and through growth groups. Uh, so we're going to do that now.